You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Different Mike with you today. Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson. Mike Pearson is on his way, as many are, to Louisville, Kentucky, for the big National Farm Machinery Show that's underway there, show that just seems to get bigger and bigger all the time. Amazing to see the growth and the popularity of that show every year. I've been there many many times in the past, and it's just a great way to kind of kick things off for the year Folks like to come in and kick tires, see what's new, and and look ahead to uh, a new season. So Mike will be there for the next two days. He's going to be broadcasting from the Trelleborg exhibit. That is booth number 5039. So if you're going to go to Louisville to the National Farm Machinery Show, stop in and see Mike Pearson tomorrow or Friday. He'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Trelleborg booth. That is 5039. Check him out. Look him up while you're there in Louisville. I know he'd be glad to talk with you. Well, I'm glad to be back with you. It's been a long time, so good to fill in while Mike is traveling. Uh, Coming up on our show today, we're going to talk uh, with Dr. Paul Sundberg. He is the executive director of uh, the Swine Health Information Center. want to get an update on uh, swine diseases, both domestically and globally, and what we need to keep an eye on as well as other diseases that uh, may have some impact on livestock as well. So good to get an update from uh, Dr. Sunberg and see what's going on. Not only the latest update on the diseases, but the latest update on precautions and efforts to keep livestock disease out of the United States. That's an ongoing effort, of course, with African swine fever and other things always to keep a close watch on. So we'll be talking with Dr. Paul Sunberg about that a little bit later on in today's program. Also joining us today will be Kurt Kavarik. He's the Vice President, Federal Affairs for the Clean Fuels Alliance. And a lot to talk about there, too, because um, with the renewable biodiesel, uh, very much on the forefront, and we'll see what the latest is there, as well as efforts to get the RFS requirements, the levels upped for biodiesel. This has been an ongoing effort for years by the biodiesel industry to get EPA to bump those levels higher because the industry can produce more and they just need uh, some higher levels required under the RFS. So we'll see what the, is going on as in the biodiesel industry to try to get EPA to, to raise those levels. Also coming up today, we'll talk with Chandler Gould. He is the CEO, CEO of NOG, the National Association of Wheat Growers. I guess probably number one priority for all farm groups right now is uh, get your priorities set uh, and made known for the next farm bill. And we'll see see what the wheat growers are wanting to get done in that next farm bill because uh, those talks are underway now, meetings are underway now, listening sessions are underway now. So every farm group has set their priorities and said, this is what we want in the next farm bill. This is what we need to see for our members in the next farm bill. We're going to find out what wheat growers are saying that they want to see in that next farm bill. So that's coming up with Chandler Gould. And we'll also uh, be talking about uh, 
conditions, weather conditions uh, around the country, what areas are of the most concern as we head into a new year. So we're also going to hope to talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. But I know Matt is traveling, and we may not be able to get a hold of him. I think he's, at last word, he was traveling through Kansas. So we're going to try to make connections with Matt here in just a moment and see if we can talk some markets with him as uh, he's he's busy on the meeting season, the meeting circuit, the speaking circuit, and he's a popular speaker, a lot of people wanting to hear from him. And I don't think we have Matt just yet. Nope, not hearing Matt. So I think we're still trying to make connections with him as as he is traveling. A lot, a lot of questions with the markets right now, a lot of uncertainty. And uh, uh, certainly as we head into a new crop season, questions like what's going on with weather in South America, ongoing questions about uh, relations with China and what, what they're going to be doing. And, uh, and of course, uh, what do you do if uh, you still got some crop to sell? So those are some of the questions we'll try to, if we can make connections with Matt, uh, we will uh, try to get him on and talk about that here in just a moment. So that's kind of the lineup. Again, I'm Mike Adams. In case you're tuning in now and say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound like Mike Pearson. No, it's not Mike Pearson. Mike Adams sitting in for the traveling uh, Mike Pearson, who's on his way to Louisville, Kentucky, for the uh, National Farm Machinery Show. As I mentioned, he'll be broadcasting the next couple of days from there at the Trello Board booth. Stop in and see him at booth 5039. Talk with him at uh, the National Farm Machinery Show. This is the meeting season, of course. Uh, we've already had the American Farm Bureau uh, Convention and uh, the Beef Industry Convention coming up yet as a commodity classic. So this is a time where folks gather together in agriculture, talk about issues, and wow, are there some important issues facing agriculture and uh, kind of getting things uh, ready to go. And I mentioned the Farm Bill. Uh, the Farm Bill, this next one is coming up uh, that they're working on now. And, you know, I've covered a lot of farm bill writings over the years. They're, they're getting tougher all the time. Uh, you got more people involved. That's both good and, and challenging at the same time. you got more voices uh, in the room, more people at the table, and uh, more people wanting things in the farm bill. So it gets to be more and more of a challenge. And seemingly, the challenge is more on the non-production side of things. I mean, there are plenty of challenges on the production side, especially things like protecting a crop insurance, and I think that's probably number one priority for most of the farm groups. But you have the, a lot of the other groups, and on the nutrition side, which is such a big part of the farm bill, when you, well, I'm trying to think, I think 80% or more of the farm bill has to do with non-production. It's more of the feeding programs, nutrition programs, those kind of programs, and more and more people getting involved in that. And that's what makes it more challenging than ever to uh, come up with a farm bill. Then you have, of course, the ongoing political division that it takes place in this country, that makes it harder all the time. So we'll see what they can do. Every year that a farm bill is written, every time it comes up, there's always talk about getting it done early. Uh, they're fortunate they can get it done on time, and sometimes they can't even do that. So we'll see what happens this time. you got new people involved, and we'll see how that goes. But it's going to be a challenge. I always say this about farm bills. They always try to be visionary. They always try to look down the road and, and uh, try to foresee what's coming and try to be ahead of it. But really what happens when they're writing a farm bill, it's reactionary. They're trying to react to what's happening right now, things that happened since the last farm bill was written that they didn't expect, and they're trying to 
fix those situations. So they're very seldom visionary. They're often, most often, reactionary, and they'll be reacting to whatever the current conditions are. So we'll see what happens. But you have new components now, a lot more on uh, the climate issues and, and conservation, things like that. So and the fueling situation and the move towards green. So that'll be an impact on it as well. So we'll see what happens. All right, coming up next, didn't get a hold of Matt. We'll keep trying. But up next, we'll talk with Dr. Paul Sunberg, Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center. An update on swine diseases. Stay with us. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP 
and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. All right, this is Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson. He's on his way to Louisville for the National Farm Machinery Show, and he'll be broadcasting from the show the next couple of days at the Trelleborg booth, booth 5039. Stop in and see him if you're going to be at the National Farm Machinery Show. All right, so we struck out on the first guest, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. He's traveling, so we thought we might have trouble with the phone connection, plus the fact I know Matt's not in a real good mood because his fighting Illini lost last night, so maybe he just didn't want to talk. I don't know. I'll check. Okay, back with you. We are having all kinds of technical difficulties. Mike Pearson will never leave again. He he won't trust me to do the show. Everything, all the all the gremlins have come into the equipment since he left. I don't know. Maybe he took the equipment with him. I'm not sure. But anyway, Mike Adams back with you, filling in for Mike Pearson, who is traveling to the National Farm Machinery Show. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but we're trying to get those uh, corrected and and get them worked out. Meanwhile, we've uh, also lost connections with our guest, Dr. Paul Sundberg, Executive Director of the Swine Health Information Center. We will try to reconnect with him. So I'm kind of 0 for 2 here filling in for Mike today. Couldn't get a hold of Matt Bennett the first segment, and now we've lost Dr. Sundberg here in the second segment. Still to come, though, and I say this now, kind of with my fingers crossed, still to come and later in the show, we hope to be talking with uh, Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the Clean Fuels Alliance, talk about biodiesel, renewable biodiesel, and uh, what's going on with the RFS. So that's coming up, we hope. And also we'll be talking with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, and we'll find out what wheat growers have in mind for what they'd like to see in the new farm bill, and also get an update on conditions around uh, the country as we get uh, closer to, you know, we're still concerned a lot about uh, drought conditions in uh, in the West, and a lot of states' uh, producers very much impacted by that, so we'll be watching that closely. We want to get an update uh, on that. So that's what we hope is still to come today on AOA. I mentioned that Mike Pearson is uh, headed to the National Farm Machinery Show, which a lot of people are already there and more will be going. It is an amazing amount uh, of people that go to that show every year. I'm told now that uh, I'm joined by Jesse Allen. Jesse, are you there? Okay, I thought we were going to have Jesse join us from Nashville. So far, no one wants to talk with me today, it seems like. Uh, but anyway, I mentioned the National Farm Machinery Show. That show, they've, they've expanded it, and it, it continues to grow, and it's just amazing how big that show has become. And we'll look forward to hearing uh, Mike Pearson reporting from there for the next couple of days. But that is really a chance to see the, the newest in equipment. And as I mentioned, uh, people like to turn out and just um, – see what is new for this year, all the new technology. And it's just amazing how much there is now coming on. And that's also a chance for people to just kind of network with each other. There are people who come to that show from several states. 
and it's a chance for them to uh, kind of uh, see what's going on in other parts of the country, what uh, other farmers are thinking, and it's just a, a great time to get together. And then you have the polls and all that. It's it's just a huge attraction. So uh, we'll see how that all turns out. Um, one of the things uh, we're watching closely, of course, is a, a ongoing um, relationships with China and what's happening there, the the, the political implications, uh, not only with Taiwan, but of course, we all know about the balloon situation. So we're watching that closely because there's still a huge customer of the United States. Um, there's a push within China. Uh, they're trying to increase their production. And, uh, but we know that even if they increase their food production, they cannot produce enough uh, for their huge population. So relationships between the U.S. and China, there are a lot of levels to this, and we're watching this very, very closely and see how it will uh, impact agriculture and ag trade moving forward. We're also watching closely on, in terms of uh, trade relations, what's happening with Mexico and that whole GMO situation. I'm sure you've been keeping up to date on that. The proposal by Mexico uh, is not really satisfactory to U.S. producers, and that's a huge issue that we'll continue to monitor there. So there are a lot of just such key issues impacting agriculture as we move forward. And we talked about the the biodiesel situation. Uh, We still have the ongoing challenges with dairy and Canada. You know, I haven't been doing this show now for over a year on a regular basis, and a lot of the issues that uh, I was talking about when I left over a year ago, we're still dealing with right now. And it's amazing how some of these are just ongoing challenges and issues and then the new ones that pop up as well. All right. I think I am joined now by Jesse Allen in Nashville. Jesse, are you there? I am here, Mike. Good morning. Good to catch up with you. You know what? One of the things I don't miss about doing the show technical problems i see those are still those still happen don't they (laughs) they do still happen to the best of us but you know what uh between uh, everyone on the team we do the best we can we make it work i said you're in nashville you've been covering some events there as well haven't you you know i've been pretty busy here the last couple of weeks uh things between the uh, agmarket.net farming for profit not price conference to United Soybean Board February meeting. Been on the road at the uh, National Cattlemen's uh, Convention here a couple weeks ago in New Orleans. And then uh, I will be with Mike Pearson in Louisville uh, here the rest of this week for the National Farm Machinery Show. So as you know, Mike, it is definitely uh, it is definitely show season. That is for sure. All right. Well, safe travels to you. I tell you what, we're going to try to connect with our next guest and see if that works. Okay. Take care, Jesse. Thanks, Mike. All right, we hope to talk to Kurt Savard with the Clean Fuels Alliance next. Join us. We'll all be surprised together to see what happens. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. You can get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I will be broadcasting AOA live from the Trelleborg booth 
5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday. That's at the National Farm Machinery Show, Trelleborg Booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Also, take a look at the market trade on Wednesday. We are seeing pressure in the grain and oilseed trade led by soybeans, bean meal, and now the wheat market, Chicago and Kansas City wheat, both under pressure. Corn and spring wheat hovering a little bit closer to unchanged, but still about three to six lower here as we work through the trade. Now, in the case of this soy complex, maybe a little bit of pullback, a little profit taking. We're watching the forecast in South America, Central and Northern Brazil, expecting more rain next week, but the soybean harvest continues to make progress anyway, even if it's at a slower than normal pace. Argentina soybeans getting a new crop rating Thursday afternoon, but shouldn't be much different than last week's 13% rating. Light to moderate scattered showers expected this week to be followed by drier weather again next week. This soybean meal market has been on fire, pulling back a little bit, but cash prices, especially in Iowa and Illinois, still remain relatively robust and at a premium to the futures trade. Now, technically speaking, spot corn prices have been trading sideways since fall and don't show any sign of taking a direction yet. The trend in March corn remains sideways with tighter supplies of U.S. corn helping to offset disappointing export demand in early 22-23. Wednesday morning, USDA did announce a private export sale of 213,370 metric tons of corn for delivery to Mexico during the 22-23 marketing year. And that comes on the heels of the latest news on Mexico's GMO corn decree. Now, over in the livestock trade, we have fairly mixed action there with cattle a little bit higher. Hogs under a little bit of pressure here early on this hog market. April taking over as the lead month contract at about a $12 premium to the cash index. Cash index a little higher, but we're seeing futures just a little lower still. Going to be watching to see how this market, how those two converge together here over the next several weeks. Check out the markets. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Okay, if you're just joining us, you haven't missed anything. So that's the good news. The bad news is we've had all kinds of technical problems and uh, we've not been able to get our first two guests on. This is Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson. Mike Pearson on his way to Louisville, Kentucky for the National Farm Machinery Show. And he'll be broadcasting there tomorrow and Friday from the Trello Board booth. That's booth 5039. If you're going to be there, stop in and, and say hello to uh, Mike. All right. So, again, we have had all kinds of technical problems and have not been able to uh, reach our guests that we uh, had hoped to have on so far today. So we are effing that, as they say in the business, and uh, hopefully we can get that and that worked out. We want to talk yet with Kurt Kabarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the Clean Fuels Alliance, and also Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. And that's uh, on our hope list for the second half of our program. So far, uh, we've not been able to reach our guests because of uh, phone issues and some computer problems as well. You know how those go. So we are uh, efforting that right now, and we'll see if we can come up with uh, any one of, of our guests. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are looking at a lot of different issues uh, on the biofuels front. The ongoing effort to try to get E15 sales year-round, that's ongoing, and uh, the ethanol industry working very hard on that. Meanwhile, on the biofuel side, and there's a lot of a lot of promise, uh, a lot of hope uh, that we're going to see a real explosion in the demand for, especially renewable diesel, and um, a lot of hope there. But that right now, one of the issues that they are looking at is trying to again to get the RFS levels, the renewable fuel standard levels that are set each year by the EPA, to get those raised for biodiesel, because the industry has certainly proven over the years that they can. Uh, produce more, just need that market signal, that market certainty uh, to uh, go after. So this has been an ongoing uh, challenge for the industry, uh, frustrating for those in the biodiesel industry, but uh, the EPA has not set those levels higher. So that is one of the issues that uh, they are continuing to work on. So it was interesting, um, I think during the Super Bowl, you'd even see commercials and more people pushing uh, uh, different ways for uh, biofuels now. A lot of people seemingly getting in on the biofuels uh, uh, push right now, but uh, the biofuels industry has been working on these things for some time, and hopefully uh, we're going to see uh, a real advancement there. Even with all this big push for the battery-operated vehicles, there's still a need for the biofuels. And now, I think we're going to have our first guest of the day, Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the Clean Fuels Alliance. Kurt, are you there? I am. Good morning. <laughs> hey, um, it's been a long time since we talked. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Uh, I missed you. Missed being at your meeting this year. It's a meeting I always look forward to covering when I was uh, uh, working, and uh, I know you had a good one. What were some of the highlights coming out of that meeting? What was the tone, the mood of that meeting? Yeah, well, the tone of the meeting and the and the the, the message behind the conference was uh, united as one. And if you think back a year ago, 
we, we changed our name and a rebrand for the organization from National Biodiesel Board to Clean Fuels Alliance America, recognizing that we've got a whole new kind of universe of, of interest in our fuel, uh, our feedstocks, and uh, the motivation around the use of the fuel, whether that's home heating oil, sustainable aviation fuel, etc. So the, the goal of our conference was to demonstrate that uh, we're more than just biodiesel. We're biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel, oil heat, uh, low-carbon solution for aviation, maritime, uh, railroads, you, you name it. If there's, a, if there's a need for a low-carbon fuel uh, to replace uh, distillate, we're, we're the answer. And there was a lot of energy, more so than I, I remember at recent conferences, uh, kind of following on the, the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act and a whole new uh, slew of interest, really, uh, from all, all sorts of stakeholders wanting to learn more about our industry, our fuel, our application, our environmental benefits. Uh, so it was really, it was really fantastic. Well, Kurt, that's the good news. Obviously, this renewed interest, this uh, growing interest in the new uses that are out there. Uh, but one of the old challenges remains that's getting uh, EPA to raise those RFS levels for biodiesel. Tell us about your efforts there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So this, this proposal came out from EPA uh, December 1st of last year. Uh, the comment period closed just last week, and it's expected to be final by June 14th of this year. And as you said, uh, we were terribly disappointed in the proposal, primarily based on the volumes that EPA is proposing for the biomass-based diesel industry. As, as you know, and, and many folks know, there's a new level of interest in production of, of biomass-based diesel. A lot of it is renewable diesel uh, and, and sustainable aviation fuel. And those market signals have been sent. There's enormous amounts of investment uh, announced throughout the Midwest, 19 or 20 locations of expanded uh, oilseed crush at the tune of somewhere around $5 billion worth of investment. EPA failed to recognize that, failed to acknowledge it whatsoever. In fact, our market uh, last year was just above 3 billion gallons for the year. The three-year proposal that EPA sets uh, in the final year, 2025, the volume is less than $3 billion. It's $2.95 billion. So rather than EPA using this three-year proposal to continue to send the positive market signals that everyone was expecting, uh, they went in the exact opposite direction. It's, it's a little bit confusing, befuddling, really, in terms of what EPA uh, had on their mind when they set these volumes. But we are we are in the kind of uh, political advocacy phase where we're having conversations with the leadership at the White House, at USDA, in Congress, to try to get a better understanding of what the concerns might have been, uh, but also to convey to them, you know, that that five billion dollars uh, worth of uh, uh, economic development in rural America isn't guaranteed. It's not assured. If if you set volumes that essentially provide no growth. That's easy to to evaporate. So you know that's that's important for a soybean farmer who sees the value from the oil in the bean, the rural economic development, both from the biodiesel producer and the and the soy crush facility, as well as the environmental uh, and national security benefits of of adding a domestic supply of low carbon fuels. All of that is at stake, and that's our message uh, to the leadership here in Washington. Well, Kurt, I know you're frustrated because this has gone on year after year. 
EPA continues to do this, and it's it's head scratching why they do this. I mean, especially now you got this push for renewables and and green. I mean, uh, you fit right into that. You're a low carbon fuel, and for them to come with those lower levels, uh, I mean, you just have to wonder what's going on there. What what's the agenda behind this decision year after year? That's right. In fact. You know, my message would be we're, we're delivering everything that Congress intended with the RFS and everything that this administration wants. We're delivering it on a silver platter. But for EPA being unable to understand what's happening in the market, uh, they, would have, they would have that delivered. Now, is there some concern about uh, the, the volume of, of uh, soybean oil that we're using for biofuels and perhaps the impact on uh, food prices that went into this? I think so. This was crafted probably last summer when there was uh, heightened concern about, about commodity inflation, uh, energy costs going up, and food costs going up. But the, the problem with that, that justification is it's absolutely wrong. Everything that we're doing in the, in the biodiesel industry is uh, either has no impact on food prices or actually lower food, food prices. Everything that we're doing on energy supply is lowering prices at the pump for consumers, given the fact that we're extending uh, the diesel supply with a homegrown uh, renewable energy source, not to mention all of the environmental and, and economic development benefits. So that's, yes. that's the message we're trying to get across to these folks. They ought to be encouraging you and not uh, holding you back. Uh, Kurt Kavark with the uh, Clean Fuels Alliance of America joining us. Real quick, Kurt, you mentioned aviation fuel. This is a promising uh, market for you, isn't it? It absolutely is, both for biodiesel and for ethanol. There's, a, there's a, a serious demand in the aviation industry more than we've ever seen before in trying to decarbonize aviation. As, as you know, there are very limited other uh, options available. You can't, you can't electrify an airplane. So there's a, there's a technical barrier that needs to be overcome, but with proper incentives and proper market signals, uh, we think it's a real opportunity for Amer- American agriculture to deliver low-carbon fuels to the aviation industry. And meanwhile, you've had great success in the heating oil industry. That's right. And if you look up and down the, the New England coast, you know, not many folks uh, from the Midwest or the, the traditional agriculture country are familiar with how buildings and homes are heated in New England, but it's with, with heating oil. And biodiesel, renewable diesel, are essentially a drop-in replacement at very high blend levels. And there's a lot of momentum towards reducing carbon emissions, reducing particulate matter, which is particularly nasty uh, from some of these fuels, and, and that's the, those are the things that cause cancer and, and asthma. Uh, so their, their goal is to reduce uh, petroleum-based oil heat and, and replace it with uh, biodiesel, which is fantastic for farmers. It's another market. It's a, it's a high-value market, but it's a new one that we need to, to continue to build out. Well, keep up the good fight, Kurt. Uh, you got a great product, a great industry, and we wish you well. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you, Mike. Always good to hear your voice. Take care. Kurt Kavard, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the Clean Fuels Alliance. Up next, we talk with Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens most people 
lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, No Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And this is Mike Anderson again from Mike Pearson, who's on his way to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky. He'll be broadcasting from there both tomorrow and on Friday. Joining me now is Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Chandler, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. Yes, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. Hey, let's talk about Farm Bill. That's kind of the priority now for all farm groups, getting uh, uh, you know everything in and conveyed to the to Congress and what you want to see in the in the farm bill. And I mentioned earlier that farm bills they try to be visionary and look out to, to the future, but they're really more reactionary, dealing with issues that are happening right now. Some that have popped up since the last farm bill was written. Looking at what worked in the last farm bill or the current farm bill, what needs to be addressed. So, from a wheat industry standpoint, what are wheat growers saying you want to see in this next farm bill? Well, we definitely want to continue to enhance and grow uh, the crop insurance uh, program and make mm-hmm. sure that we protect it at all costs. I mean, having a uh, an effective risk management tool is critical for any farm operation, not just wheat growers, but everybody, uh, to be able to survive in that type of industry. But then, as, as you just said, you know, looking back at some things that maybe need to be changed or tweaked, you know, is our safety net really a safety net anymore because cost of production has gone up so much? The price of diesel, the price of input, the price of labor. And is 550 really a realistic reference price for a wheat grower to not even really break even at that point? And so we're going to be seeking additional budget authority in the farm bill and looking at some way to raise that PLC price so it's more reflective of what actual cost of production is these days, which has just changed over the last five years of this farm bill. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And that, that's another example of what I'm saying. Uh, you try to look ahead when you write a farm bill, but you can't see what's everything's coming down the line. And no one, when the last farm bill was written, ever imagined we'd have input costs this high that we do now. Right, right. I mean, we had a supply chain disruption. We had COVID. We had you know, we stopped shipment to China. I mean, a lot's happened since the last farm bill. So we've definitely learned a lot and been exposed to a lot, which I think is going to make this a very interesting farm bill as we move forward. And not only how, uh, you know, the wheat growers are, were affected, but everybody who's touched by the farm bill. I mentioned this earlier, Chandler. You have more voices at the table now, more people in the room when they write a farm bill. 
And you could take the production part of it, and I think you could hammer that out uh, a lot quicker than the rest of it. I mean, you're into the nutrition programs and all the different people involved in that now, and that really makes it harder for them to write a farm bill. It does. Uh, you know, having the nutrition component on there, which is roughly about 82 to 84 percent of the funding and, and of the bill, um, is the most contentious area. But we already know, though, if you, if you separate the SNAP or the nutrition portion from the farm bill, it is dead on arrival when you get to the Senate. And so uh, I'm hoping our House colleagues will uh, go ahead and take that notion, knowing that it will not survive through the Senate and, doing, and, and separating it. And let's not waste political time and capital on those actions. Let's see if they can come up with some type of compromise of changes they maybe want uh, to those programs. And, and Chairman G.T. Thompson has already been out there you know, talking about the importance of keeping the SNAP program with the Farm Bill so that it can get through the Senate and to the President before September 30th. I often said, this is the catch-22. You need that nutrition part of it to get the Farm Bill passed, but yet the nutrition part of it makes it harder to get it passed in a way. That you, well, you're, you're, you're exactly right, because uh, every, senator, every senator is affected by the SNAP program because they've got major metropolitan areas in their state. But every congressman is not necessarily affected by it. But there are some interesting statistics that, you know, one in four in an urban area qualify for SNAP programs and one in four in rural areas also qualify. And that, 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 that statistic's a, a little a few years old, but, but the difference is most people in the rural areas or fewer people in the rural areas actually uh, access the program or use it. But you're exactly right. We need the nutrition portion to pass it but it's definitely the most difficult part, not only bicameral, but by party. It seems like they start earlier and earlier to write a farm bill, and there'll be talk and prediction of getting it done early. But the challenge will be getting it done even on time. I mean, that's, that, that gets harder to do. You, you know, both House and, and Senate Ag Committees have really ramped up their hearing schedule, and, and I know that Chairwoman Stabenow and, and Chairman Thompson are, are really eager to uh, get this bill done by September 30th. That's still their goal. Um, if they accomplish it, I will be very impressed. I think that's a very heavy lift uh, to get that much information gathered from across the countryside on all the titles of the Farm Bill, get it drafted, you know, go through all the subcommittees, go through conference, and have that to the president by September 30th. It's a good goal to have and be working for. I would not be surprised if we don't get a one-year extension, though. Yeah. If they get it done on time, I'd be more than impressed. I'd be shocked. But, uh, I'm like you. I, uh, if, you're, if you're placing a wager on it, I'd be more apt to wager that it, it, they'll put an extension on it as well. So, but we'll see. Maybe they can get it done. Hey, real quick, uh, you talk with growers around the country. What are conditions? I know there are parts of the country still dealing with droughts. Uh, what are you hearing? Well, I mean, the, the situation has definitely gotten better. You know, some of those areas where we were having winter droughts actually got some decent snow and maybe even a little bit of rain. So that's really helping, you know, that winter wheat that's in the ground. So I'd say the drought monitor is actually shrinking. But, you know, we still have some parts of, you know, Kansas and that middle part of the wheat belt there that still could use some precipitation, but not near as bad as it was uh, at planting time, you know, in, in the fall of, of last year. So hopefully conditions will continue to improve and we'll have a good crop coming out this next season. Yeah, so maybe some hope there, or a little more optimism if it would continue to get to get the moisture. And uh, is that the, is that are those the two issues top of mind for producers right now? Conditions and and farm bill. Um, conditions, farm bill, and then uh, input costs. I mean, you know, and and, yeah. and availability of, of supplies that that continues to be 
what I get the most uh, phone calls about. And I think, you know, things like the rail strike that we avoided, that got everybody very nervous of what, what kind of repercussions would that have. But really, it's pop, pop, pop. That's what I continue to hear. Yeah, we're all dealing with that. No matter if you make more, it doesn't matter if you have to pay more for everything else. It uh, balances it out or, or even cuts into what uh, you're making. You're not making as much. Chandler, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Chandler Gould, CEO of Nahas. Thanks for joining us. Sorry for the technical problems. Join Mike Pearson tomorrow and Friday for the National Farm Machinery Show. Thanks for joining us on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.